0: invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are wrapping up our series <coughs> excuse me, on our capital campaign on the theme of further. As we look at this theme going further in mission. Paul in this book has been uh, preparing to come to Corinth to collect uh a financial gift to take back to Judea, to give to the saints there, to aid them. And in doing so, he's laid uh, a theological foundation for that and spent only about two chapters even talking about the actual collection of the gift, spending a good deal of time reminding uh, the Corinthians of his apostolic authority. Uh, And here, uh, he talks about... uh, What his his whole hope for mission, what his whole hope in his ministry to the Corinthians, in this gift to the church in Judea, what what his hope and desire for God's people even is. And so we'll turn our attention there. I know that the paragraph breaks in verse 13 in many of your translations, but... Uh, Verse 12 goes with the context. So we'll begin there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. This is God's Word. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. We are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. Our hope is that your, as your faith increases, Our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. Without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we look to you now and ask That you would give us eyes to see the mission that you have called us to be about. Even as you had given Paul this great calling, this great heart to reach those who had never heard of Christ. Lord, so give us eyes to see where you are leading. a heart to follow after you. That we might not boast in worldly things. But in what you have assigned us. In what you are doing and have done and will do. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So, where do we go from here? It's a it's a question that it's often asked after you get to this momentous point in life. You finished a big project. The shed is built. The garage is cleaned out and you're like, "Well, now what?" Now, where do I go? It's been graduation weekend for our family, and and it brings to conclusion a, a whole lot of things. And now as we look ahead, we're like, now where do we go? Where do we head? And as we come to the conclusion of this further campaign, it's right that we should ask, where do we go From here, with the conclusion of the the further campaign isn't the conclusion of ministry. In in some ways, it's just the beginning. Where are we going? What has God called us to be about? The further campaign was, in one sense, a campaign to reduce our debt, to pay it down, so that we might be freed to do more ministry sooner than we might otherwise have been able to to do what ministry is that that's the heart of it further campaign has been about seeking the lord so that we could discern what is the mission what is the ministry vision that he has assigned to us and what does it look like for us to follow after him to go further into that mission I think there's three things that we can consider from this text this morning as we consider what it means to go further in mission. If we're to go further in mission, we must be grounded in the gospel. We must be committed to the strategic. We must be dependent upon the Lord. If we are to go further in mission, we must be grounded in the gospel, committed to the strategic and dependent on the Lord. And so the first thing I want us to wrestle with is this, if, that, if we are to go further in mission, we must be grounded in the gospel. <clears throat> you know, if I'm honest, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. I think that's true of all of us. We just, we just sort of fake it till we make it, if we make it. And we don't know what we're doing. And there's, in some sense, we need to have, give ourselves permission that that that's okay. Like there are times when it's okay to, to not really know how to drive, right? When you're a, a toddler on his little tricycle in the patio trying to figure out, like, what does it mean to turn left? And what does it mean to turn right? What does it look like not to run into your mom? And what does it look like not to crash over? Like, it's okay to not really know what you're doing. But when you're an adult driving around Jefferson or 64 not knowing what you're doing, you might kill people. The costs are higher. The stakes are higher. Paul is talking in the context of a group of people who had come to Corinth ministering in Jesus' name, but not really with the gospel of Christ. And he has been, throughout this letter, not comparing himself with them, but contrasting their approach to ministry with Jesus' own. And he mentions here in verse 12 that these are people who are without understanding. But it's not an innocent sort of lack of understanding. It is destructive. It is even demonic. Because in in the context of, of this letter, these people preaching about Jesus without understanding are revealing themselves to be godless, to have no connection to Jesus or the Heavenly Father at all. But They're preaching about Christ. They're using the the gospel as a a stepping stone to advance their own cause, to advance their own ministry, to advance their own wondrous gifts and, and intellect and leadership. But because they're not grounded in Christ, because they have no understanding of the gospel, they are, le- they are left to judge their success with nothing else than to compare themselves with one another. They, Paul says, they, they com- we're not going to do this, but they are the sort who compare and measure themselves by one another and commend themselves and boast in themselves. Verse 13, where it says, we will not boast beyond limits. Paul's not saying, some boasting's okay, but don't overdo it. It's maybe even better to translate this. We will not boast in immeasurable things. We're not going to boast in these weird things that they keep using to justify themselves and commend themselves and then compare themselves with one another. Well, I had 13 commitments. I raised this much money. I've done I've been to this number of places. I have this number of followers. I have had this great philosophical and theological insight. They they're boasting and comparing themselves to one another to advance themselves as these some sort of super apostles, but because they're not connected to Christ, because they're not grounded in his gospel, the only thing they have are these ethereal, worldly foolish things to commend themselves with, to boast in, to advance themselves with. And in so doing, they show themselves to be godless, to be selfish, to be the sorts of people who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these things? Only to have Jesus respond, I never knew you. If we're to go further in the mission that God calls us to, we have to be people who are grounded in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are rooted in him, in his word, in his direction. And we can't put a whole lot of stock And what other people think about us. Or what we think of ourselves. Or of how helpful and successful we are. Or how many books we've published. Or how many tweets we've had liked. Or how many whatever. We have to be a people who look and boast only in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us? to have our ministry, to have our mission grounded in the gospel? What, What might our ministry look like? How will it reflect this grounding as we go further in mission? These false teachers were very, very quick to talk about all the things they knew about. to boast in their great knowledge of the divine secrets. Paul has to mock them later. He's like, I'm going to be foolish for a minute. I'm going to to be like them for just a minute, just to show you how ridiculous this is. What would it look like for us to not be a people who boast about all the things that we know? How deeply Reformed or Presbyterian we are who people who live out what it is that God has revealed to us in Christ. To be a people who live out the goodness of the good news. Who don't just know it intellectually, but who are shaped by it, formed by it, so that it pierces to the very Depths of our soul. So that it shapes our emotions. The things that we delight in. So that it shapes our understanding. The things that we know. So that it shapes even the things that we do. So that we are a people. Who are known. Not for talking about. But living out. It might look like us being. Less boastful in these intangible things. I mean, I fall into this trap. Every pastor wrestles with, how, how do you how do you know if you're succeeding? We want to be successful in the Lord. And it's really easy to just fall into the trap of start to count noses and numbers, is how they, they put it. You know, how many people are, are sitting there and how much is in the offering plate? And if, and if those are up, you're doing great. But are you? What would it look like for us not to boast in our, these immeasurable things, these intangible things, but to be a people constantly, prayerfully, seeking God's guidance, God's wisdom, and being delighted And content in whatever he's assigned. Paul talks about we're not overextending ourselves. We're not even boasting in all the stuff that we've done. God assigned this to us. God gave it to us to go to you. We were the first. And that was from God. We are content with that. What would it look like for us to be not just content, but overjoyed? To step in to those ministry opportunities that God has assigned to us. And not trying to build a platform. But so rooted and grounded in the gospel. Seeking just to follow after Him. (coughs) Excuse me. Maybe it might mean... people know very little about us after they've interacted with us compared to how much they know about the Lord. It's interesting, all that we know about these false teachers, we know from all the things that Paul, contrad- like we know a lot about them because Paul has to address so many things about them. We don't know a ton about Paul. We know some of what he's told us. We know his background People wonder, did he have an eyesight problem? We, we don't. We don't know this thorn in the flesh that he talks about later in Second Corinthians. What was that exactly? He doesn't tell us. There are all these things, all these curious questions we have about Paul. We don't know, because what he's left us with is less of himself, more of Christ. Not that he is unimportant. Not that you are unimportant. Not that there aren't wondrous things to get to know about you. But what would it look like for us to be a people? We're so grounded in the gospel, people can't help but receive that from us. That good news. That there is a saving and redeeming God. if this further campaign is hyper successful and we raise enough money to fully pay down our debt and build the taj mahal of playgrounds and paint everything and whatever you just whatever was listed on the wall that y'all wrote down do all those things and then some if we raise all the money in the universe and get real comfortable and complacent and proud and self satisfied and unwilling to follow the Lord, to step into that further mission he has for us, then what was the point? If we don't raise any money, if all of the pledges vaporize because the economy tanks and we go into recession and they can't negotiate whatever it is they need to negotiate in, con- in con- uh, Congress, I don't even remember what it's called. They haven't done their job in so long. Sorry, sorry. That was, that was an inappropriate joke. If we, if we don't raise anything, but step out in faithfulness, wherever the Lord leads, to be used of him to take that good news of the gospel, that will have been worth every prayer we lifted up. Lord, show us your ministry vision for this place. If we are to go further in mission... It can't be about us. We have to be grounded in the gospel. And if we are to go further in mission, the second thing I want us to consider is that we have to be committed to the strategic. Sometimes we can get really, really passive with stuff. Well, if it's God's work and it's God's power and it's God's spirit and it's God's gospel, and it, like, then I'm just going to sit around and wait for God to do something. Or we confuse wishful thinking with strategy. I had a, early in my college career, you know, you meet all the people in the dorm rooms across the way, met a guy across the way, brilliant math major who had a strategy for dating while he was at college. He was going to ask every girl out that he ever saw because he figured the odds... Is that if every, even if all the girls say no, there's one of them's bound to say yes eventually. And even if that doesn't work out, then he'll get it like mathematically, eventually he'll he'll get to this place where it'll all work out. And and it sounded good on paper, but we all just kind of listen to this thinking, I mean, that's not a strategy. I mean, like, Like, I understand the math, but that's not a strategy. That's wishful thinking, because you're avoiding dealing with the the key central thing. Like, why do people tell you specifically no? (laughs) Could it be that you are a jerk? (laughs) Paul... grounded in the gospel that he was didn't didn't think that god had called him for no reason he looked out at the world with his gifts with his insight with And he prayerfully considered, what would you have me do and be? How would you have me take the gospel out to these places? I don't need to just wait around for you to do something. Jesus himself didn't say, wait around. He said, wait until you get the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And now we're to go, not to sit in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but to go to the ends of the earth, to go to all the nations Make disciples. What does that look like for Paul? For Paul, it looked like taking the gospel where Jesus had never been named. That's what God had assigned him. And he was very strategic about it. Not overextending myself. I'm not going to, look, Corinthians, we were the first to bring the gospel to you. That means something. But like, that's not where we're stopping. Understand, we want your faith to increase so that our area of influence among you may grow. Not so that we can stand at the top of the hill enthroned as on high as the the Bishop of Corinth, but so that we can leave. So we can get out of here and go and take the gospel to places where Jesus has not been named. That's the whole point. That's why he's planting churches. That's why he's seeing elders appointed. That's why he had this desire to get to Spain eventually. even Because that seemed so far away. Let me take Christ out. And so he would go to these key cities. Establish churches. And then he would move on. Expecting them... To continue to grow in the nurture of the Lord, grounded in the gospel, so that their influence wouldn't shrink, but would grow. And that more and more people in that city and in that region would come to know Christ. This is the whole book of Colossians, is testimony to this. Because Paul didn't even plant the church in Colossus. Somebody heard Paul, went back to his hometown, and planted a church. This is what Paul wants to see happen. That the unreached, that those who don't know the Lord would come to know him. And so he develops a strategy to go about doing that. Not a strategy that he boasts in because he was following that strategy and the Lord's like, no, no. I want you to go somewhere else. And he sends this vision of a man from Macedonia. And Paul's like, okay, I won't go there. I'll go to Macedonia. Paul's plans are disrupted all the time. He gets arrested. He gets shipwrecked. He gets stoned. Like Paul has these ideas. He has these strategies. He goes and he preaches in the synagogue for a little while. Hopefully they'll listen. They do, usually didn't. And so then he would go and, and just preach in the marketplaces and, and hoping that, oh, if I get to the Areopagus in this public square, they'll listen. But they didn't. And he has these strategies. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Sometimes the Lord directs them in different ways, but he doesn't just sit around and wait. What would it look like for us to be wise about seeing the gospel spread among us, in our community, in our region? we we had a a whole thing at the the vision fest that was so wonderful we had a, a lot of talk about in the in the prayer walk that was so encouraging about how god has been faithful in the past with this church with other ministries with partnerships and how he might yet do some new and incredible things in the future new partnerships and new ministries. Our presbytery, you've heard, is is seeking to plant a church here on the peninsula. We want to get behind that. We've been saving money up for that. We would love to free more money up for that. What would it look like for us to be a part of that? We want to see people not just come to Christ, but be discipled. We've started small groups. We have a discipleship program. We're all reading the scripture. We're doing a summer seminar All of these things, we want people to be grown up in the the nurture and admonition of the Lord. These are all a a level of strategy that we have tried to put into place. The prioritization of worship is a part of that. And all of those things are important. But but if you had to boil our ministry strategy down to just one succinct statement, do you know what it is? Do you know what the ministry strategy of Calvary Reformed Presbyterian Church is? Can you name it? And no, I'm not saying not engage people with the truth. That's a vision statement. Good, good try. If you had to boil it down, oh, we made it nice. Worship grows, serve together in Christ. That 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 looks good on marketing materials. If you had to boil it down even further, what is our ministry strategy? Do you know? It's you. You are our ministry strategy. Just like the church in Corinth was Paul's, that your faith might increase, that the influence of the gospel might expand, that people might come to know the Lord more and more and more. I don't spend a whole lot of time in your house with your family, but you do. There are a lot of you, I, I don't I don't think I've ever been to your workplace. But you have. Some of you live in the same neighborhood that I do, but most of us are scattered all about. The Lord's put us there. He's put us there for a reason. Your faith might increase to such an extent that the Lord uses you. To bring the gospel to others. What does it look like for you? For me? For us? To be committed to that strategy. To be wise about it. The further campaign has put prayer forward as that key component. Not the only thing, but that key component heartfelt, faithful, earnest prayer. Lord, show me your ministry vision for this church and help me discern a sacrifice that's meaningful and joyful. Help me discern a response to your ministry vision, Lord. It's not just about money. It's about all of what we are. Who we are. If we are to go further in mission, we must be committed to that strategy. Last, I want us to consider that if we are to go further in mission, we must be dependent upon the Lord. It's easy sometimes to rely on our own strength and our own gifts and our own talents. Pastors are not above this. There have been times, oh, so many things, so many things to do. And it's like, Lord, I just, I don't know. Just help me lead this Bible study. The sermon isn't coming together, Lord. You're just going to have to do something with it. Sunday's coming. But then we just rely on our own strength. We just rely on our own wisdom. We, we, We talk like we need the Lord. We talk like we're in desperate straits. We talk like we cannot ever get through without Him. And then we're like, "Well, you know, I've got a good joke I can in, introduce here. I, I, I've got some skills. I can, I can do this thing. I can, I can do that. And we just sort of grit our teeth and walk through the Christian life as if it's something we can do on our own. We just read enough books or listen to enough sermons, or go to enough small groups. We can do it. You know, when people are moving, and they always have the sofa couch, which is a result of the fall, I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. But, uh, you know, it takes like 18 people to lift one of those things, or at least the old ones that do. There's always the two young guys that like grab that the heavy part and then the the two smart guys that are like oh yeah we'll help and they grab the corn and they they're not doing a whole lot i try to be that guy on a sofa couch right they're just there for balance they're like the the whole weight of the thing is held by somebody else and yet that person there providing the balance isn't there and that thing! you didn't tie it down well the the sofa Bed part pops out, or they lose their balance, or they fall down the stairs, or they can't get it through the door. Right, like it, like yeah. Somebody might be bearing the brunt of the weight, but it takes everybody. Look, God, it's His work. It's His power. It's His gospel. It's His salvation. It's His Spirit. He has borne all the weight. And yet he, he calls us in. Hold this corner for me. And he's got the couch in one hand, spinning it around like a globetrotter. But he, still, he invites us in. Grab a corner. Be a part of this. Learn what it means to depend on me. And this is what it means to boast in the Lord. Paul says it twice. We boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Paul's saying, if, if God had not initiated it, we could not take credit for anything that happened there in Corinth. In fact, there's a lot of Paul's ministry in Corinth that's just a result of his... Lack of success, worldly success, in the Areopagus. He goes to Corinth in weakness and frailty, maybe even despairing. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. And he resolved to preach Christ and Him crucified. God used it because it's His gospel, it's His spirit, it's His power. And Paul. Paul keeps coming back to that. So we don't boast beyond limit in, in the labors of others. Like, I don't need to boast in what my followers are doing. I don't need to boast in what the churches I've planted are doing. I don't need to boast in anything that I've done or in what other people are doing. I only need to boast in the Lord. Because He is doing mighty things and He has invited me to be a part of it. That's what it means when he closes us out. It's not the one who commends himself who's approved. It's not the one who's like, look at all the stuff I'm doing, Lord. It doesn't earn you anything. It's the one whom the Lord commends. You are my beloved child. You are my ambassador in Christ. You are my faithful servant. Now go out and make disciples. You are my people, my sons and my daughters, my, my fellow heirs. be a part of what I'm doing in this world. And so we can step out, grounded in the gospel, committed to the strategic, but doing ministry, pursuing the mission that God has given us, fully and utterly dependent on the Lord and what He provides and what He's doing, knowing that He is at work and He would not have called us to something that He was not already about. That's an opportunity for us then to, to develop our ministry, not in worldly strength or worldly wisdom, but in looking to Christ. He told us that, that the way the gospel way is, is reversed from the world's way. Paul talks later in this book about that thorn in the flesh, and that God revealed to him that his strength is made perfect in weakness. That's why Jesus can say, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, then follow me. That's why the crucified Son of glory is good news. Because in weakness and frailty and even death, he disarmed all the rulers and all the powers and all the principalities and put even death to death. And was raised to newness of life that we might follow after him in it, not in our strength, but in his. So, what would it look like for us to embrace weakness, utterly dependent on his strength for mission? I mean, in one way, preaching and teaching and studying the gospel is a weakness. Paul calls it the foolishness of preaching. I mean, if you were to design a strategy to get as many people into a room as possible and behind a cause, having some middle-aged bald guy up there talking for 30, 45, an hour, however long I'm going to go this morning, minutes, like that's maybe not the way to do it. There should be some incentives, like, I don't know, like a rewards card or something. And yet, God uses the foolishness of preaching to bring people to Himself. The foolishness of just you and I sharing the gospel to bring people to Himself. That gospel way of weakness doesn't have a whole lot for worldly power. These super apostles were like, Look at us. We are super apostles. We have influence. We have power. We have strength. Elect us to the highest office, we'll fix everything. And Paul calls them to walk according to the Spirit. It's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And the fruit that the Spirit brings isn't held in high regard in our world these days. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you tell me the next time, a global corporate ad campaign comes out with the central theme of self-control. Don't buy our products. You have enough. I mean, like that is just not how the world works. <clears> the <throat> Spirit equips us to bear fruit that turns all of that on its head. Forgiveness. In a world where canceling one another is king. To know what forgiveness is and know what it means to offer it truly. To serve, looking for nothing in return. To be selfless, to be humble. These are the things that Christ has called us into. And it is through the weakness of those things that he will manifest his strength and his power. Bring about the renewal of all things. That's ultimately what it means to go further in mission, further in sacrifice, further in joy, further in prayer, further in freedom, further in vision. It's just to go further into Christ, to become more like him, to not know about him, but to know him. To share in his ministry, to share in his sufferings, to share in the things that he delights in, to share in his joy, to share in his inheritance, to share in all of the glory that he doesn't hold to himself, but invites us into forever and ever. But he leaves us here now with the mission to invite others into that same place, to go further into Christ, to know him and to make him known. What does the what opportunities does the Lord have for you? For me, for us. To engage people with that truth of Jesus through this loving community. How will he take us further into this mission? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would Give us eyes to see what that looks like. That we would discern, Lord, what what it means to follow after you. With our financial gifts, certainly. With our talents, time. With serving one another and those around us. With being willing to be inconvenienced with all those opportunities. To share the good news of Jesus with our parents, our children, our spouses, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends. Lord, that your area of influence might increase. Accomplish this in us and through us, Lord, that we might boast, but not in the things that we have done. That we might boast in our great God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.